trust by now you've learned to not believe anything Brad says. Isn't that right, Brad? It's really great to be here. Um, no, it's better than that. This is a gift to be here. You have given me a gift, Brad, by inviting me and as well. Can I just stop and surrender this moment? Is that all right? I know we've prayed a few times, but Father, these are your words that we are going to read today. This is your story. This is scripture, sacred word. Receive it as sacred. May we receive it as gift. May we receive what you want to give to us today in our minds, in our, our lives. Amen. I am a husband of one, a father of three. They're good kids. I was raised on a wheat farm in South Dakota until I was about 13 years old. I was also raised inside of the holiness movement. I'll talk some more about that in the next few days. But ever since I was knee-high to a South Dakota grasshopper, and in case you haven't seen one, that's not, you know, too small. I have been seeking God's call on my life, a call to faithfulness. I don't remember a day in my life where either my grandfather coached me to say it or somehow it was just given to me that when someone would ask me the question, what are you going to do with your life? My response back was, I'm going to be a preacher or a farmer. There was always the out of farming, by the way. So 16 years of my life, the last 16 years or so, I answered that call in a way of leading, uh, serving as pastor in God's church, serving God's people. And I love the local church. It is good and beautiful. I love what you have here. It is good and beautiful. But it was about two years ago that that call that we sense began to disrupt something in my life. It actually turned the joy of pastoring into a dread. Interesting. And it was every day. I just couldn't quite escape it. And now there was this, this voice from elsewhere, we'll call it, that continually tried to call at me. And there was a struggle for me to, to stay. We were deeply rooted in this community that we were part of in Lee Summit. Eight years we put in there. We'd been up and down the journeys of church. And we loved that place. Our kids had friends there. We loved our house. We loved our neighborhood. We even liked our neighbors. It was a pretty comfortable place to live. Suburbs of Lee Summit, Kansas City. In many ways, we had, we had earned our stripes of pastoring and we had settled into the rhythm of respect. If that is such a thing ever as a pastor, I don't know. I had found myself in a place of, of routine, let's put it that way. And now that call had become very disrupted. We began to struggle, we wrestled, we resisted. And truthfully, it was only through the prodding of spiritual directors in our life and the support of, of close friends that we responded to that disruption with obedience. We resigned our position. We gave away all of our belongings, 17 years of marriage, three kids. We listed our house for sale, and frankly, I kind of hoped that maybe it wouldn't sell so that we could say that this was not the right thing to do. 
But alas, within 12 hours of it being on the market, we had over 10 offers on the house and like 10,000 more than we were asking for it. And then you say, oh, no. We sold our house. I bought a little 10-foot box trailer. And we put everything that belongs to us in this little 10-foot box trailer and hooked it up to the back of the car and left not having any clue what was in front of us. We just simply knew God said, go, and we went. That journey took us north. We ended up in upstate New York. And and should I clarify, we didn't just randomly drive around. (laughs) But actually, Stanley is there, and we had a sense of call there. There was a sense of pull. We didn't really understand why. We're in the middle of nowhere. We're 53 miles from the nearest Walmart, and that is, by the way, a metric that we use to judge where we live. We're just a few miles from the Canadian border. We're in the beautiful Adirondack Mountains in the middle of nowhere. And we begin a sense of this call that just said, go here. Now, we've lived for the last 17 years in either Cincinnati, Ohio, or in Kansas City, suburb and urban areas. I was raised in a very rural area, but it is a shock, by the way, to return to such a thing. I remember after about three or four months being there, Ashley and I looked at each other and said, when was the last time we went out to eat? We realized that since we had moved, been there three or four months, we hadn't. This was an interesting experience. And I'm going to talk about some of those lessons that we learned in our year of sabbatical, we're calling it. This kind of removal out of the routines, the comfortable places that we found ourselves in, the rhythms, the traditions, and then this pull away, this calling to to kind of step aside and and put ourselves into a place where God can do something new inside of our life. And when Brad called me and said, hey, are you interested potentially in coming and speaking? I said, well, what's the day? And he told me the date, and I looked up the passage, and I just chuckled out loud because in front of me was the story of Nicodemus. This is my story. Maybe it's your story. We'll find out today. I would ask us, before we go to read the scripture, though, that we've got to be willing to lay down our expectations because it's such a familiar scripture, we may actually miss the entire message. John 3. By the way, in your flyer, there is the NIV text that is mentioned. It is a very familiar reading of this passage. On the screens, I've asked that we use the message because it it does perhaps give us a little bit of a break up a little bit so that we can begin to maybe actually hear what is being said in the middle of this very familiar passage. So I'll read to it to us out of the message, and I'm just going to comment as we go along. May the scripture be our sermon. John 3 starts like this. There was a man of the Pharisee sect. We must stop there and say, well, what does that mean? do that a lot, by the way. This, this idea of the Pharisee sect, in other words, there was a certain set of traditions, a certain set of comfortable patterns, there was a, a certain set of rhythm of which Nicodemus lived inside of as a Pharisee. He was a leader, it says prominent leader among the Jews, and, and he had this pattern. You could say in some sense he was a pastor, he was a leader of the temple, of the people, the Jews. And Nicodemus had been walking in this journey for quite some time, and to be able to get to that position, by the way, he had gone through a lot of ordination classes, probably more than one year of seminary, a few online Bible classes at the minimum. 
You get the point, right? He had been ingrained in study of theology and understanding of God. Since he was, since he was knee-high to a grasshopper, he had known nothing else and nothing less than thinking and understanding and study of God. Nicodemus had to wonder. We'll continue. We need to come up with a universal sign for Nick's, right? That'll be it. Perfect. Late one night, he visited Jesus and said, Rabbi, we all know, speaking of his compadres, we all know that you're a teacher straight from God. Late one night. Now, we've heard many sermons about this passage, and this is what we have to be careful about, not jumping ahead and saying we already know what it is, because many times we've heard this preached that Nicodemus comes in the night in the coverage darkness, you know, he was ashamed. I don't think that's true, because the text is going to show us in just a couple of verses that Jesus didn't think that was true, that Jesus truly saw Nicodemus as a seeker, one coming to seek out Jesus. It gives it away a little bit here in the message when it says that we all know that you're a teacher. There had been some discussion already, right? You could tell there had been a little gossip, a little you know, conversation behind the closed doors of the Pharisee sect in the temple. Hey, what about that guy? What's he saying? What do you think about that? Let's pull the scriptures out and look at that again. But late one night, he visited Jesus. I think that it actually fits within the rabbinic tradition that the evening hours were set aside for individual study. Your daytime was for the temple's duties, and the evening hours were specifically set aside so that you would give yourself to the searching of the scriptures. Now listen to this. In many ways, then, for Nicodemus to come to Jesus at night, Nicodemus is actually saying, Jesus, you are the word or the scriptures of which I want to seek out. Interesting, right? We all know. 1 John, the Word, right, was with God, and God was the Word. Jesus is the Word that Nicodemus is seeking to study. He comes with this curiosity, which I think is really important for us to acknowledge. He isn't coming out of shame. He's coming out of curiosity, seeking Jesus. And he says, we know that, that you're a teacher straight from God. No one could do all of the God-pointing. I love the way that Peterson translates this in the message. No one could do all the God-pointing, the revealing acts you do if God weren't in it. In the traditional kind of traditions, we'll see the word signs. We know from the signs that you are presenting. But we know all of this God-pointing, God-revealing acts that you do. If that You couldn't do that if God weren't in it. Now we see what Nicodemus is saying, right? That in Jesus, the word of which he is studying, he sees describing and pointing to who God is. You got this, right? You see Nicodemus, a Pharisee who studies the Scriptures, given his life to study of Scriptures, comes to Jesus and says, I want to study you, the Word, and says, I see in you, the Word, a description of who God is that is brand new to me. You with me? No? All right. This is going to get real good in a bit. A bit. This God-revealing acts. Oh, perfect. You read my mind. We're getting good. Nope, back up one. Two, back up one. No one can do all this God-pointing acts. No one can do this. Nobody can do this if it weren't for God involved in it. What is Nicodemus saying with that? No one. Nicodemus has this understanding. 
It's not just shame, cover of darkness. It is a seeking. And it's also an understanding that there is a one that he was expecting. That was an important one. Jesus said, you're absolutely right. Take it from me. Unless a person is born from above, translation, what does it say? This is where we've got to be careful so that we don't just jump ahead and say we already know what it means. What does the NIV say? Somebody said it. Born again. The word again, above. Let me get my notes out here. I had to ask Brad how to say this this morning. Smart my foot. He was the one that told me how to say it. No. An othen, it's the Greek word. That it could either be translated above or again. Like the word spoke, if I said to you, it's either I, I spoke something, or maybe I was referring to the spokes on my bicycle. Right? The word can carry two specific in, in, in meanings. And Jesus speaks this Greek word to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus took one side of it. By the way, many preachers do as well, and many translators do as well. But the word holds two meanings. You could be born from above, or it could mean born again. Now, those are two different things, are they not? Born from above, we say, well, let's explore that a little bit. But born again seems like a bit of an impossibility in which Nicodemus goes there. Does he not? We know the story. It's not possible to see what I'm pointing to. It's not possible to see what I'm pointing to, to God's kingdom, without this being born from above, what Jesus is referring to. Jesus clearly is using the above meaning when he uses the word. In other words, you can only see what I'm pointing to if you have the eyes from God to see it. Because above and below in the book of John, by the way, often, over and over again, refers to two different alternative viewpoints. There's a viewpoint of life and the world and creation from below, and there's a viewpoint of life and the world and creation in my life from above. I just flew here on an airplane. It was one of the scariest things I've ever done. But it was a very small little prop plane, and it was very windy. But I look down, and I begin to see all these lights, and you just marvel at this sight, and you realize you, you don't, Chicago's a beautiful place until you get on the ground. Right? There's a viewpoint above and below. There, there's two different ways to see life, and you guys know what I'm talking about. You understand what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, right? Now that we hear the word... You must be born from above. You must have these eyes to see the world and creation and, the, and people through the eyes of God. But Nicodemus didn't hear the, in, the, in the word onitha. He didn't hear the word above. He heard again. And so then Nicodemus responds, How can anyone, said Nicodemus, be born who has already been born and grow up? And now, in Greek, this is pretty graphic stuff right here. That doesn't take me too much to describe that to you, does it? Nicodemus is literally saying, you, what are you talking about? You want me to re-enter my mother's womb? That's what he's saying. That's kind of interesting, right? You want me to be born? Oh, this is impossible, Jesus. Do you know how many times that when we read the Gospels and we hear Jesus and it gets preached to us, do you know how many times that our first response is, is, wait a minute. Do you really, Jesus, expect me? Do you really, Jesus, you expect me to believe? Blessed are they who, who are mourning. Don't you know what mourning is? 
Jesus. Do you really, Jesus, expect me, eyes of God that has a preferential viewpoint of the poor? By the way, that's in the gospel. You know what we say? Whatever. Do you really, Jesus, do you, do you mean it when he says, I should love my enemy? You don't know what they did. And you don't know what they deserve. True, right? Do you really, Jesus? Do you really say that, that all can come to a place and believe? Do you really mean that? Because I know some kind of people that don't deserve it. Most of them disagree with me on Facebook. So I block them. You get it, right? You know how many times that Jesus just says a very simple reality, and we say, oh, no, you don't understand the world, Jesus. No, you don't know how it works. You and your little sinless stuff. You can't re-enter your mother's womb and be born again. What are you talking about, Jesus, with all this born from above talk, this born again? What are you talking about? Jesus, hello. I don't, I, I'm sorry, maybe I was misunderstood. That's what that actually says in Greek, you know. Jesus is like, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm sorry. You misunderstood me. <laughs> Jesus says, no, you're, you're not hearing. Hearing. You with me? You're not listening? Do you remember who Nicodemus is coming to hear from? Do you remember? I covered it. Do you remember that Jesus is called what in the book of John? Oh, the word. Nicodemus is, he says to Nicodemus, I don't think you've heard the word. In other words, you haven't heard me. Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, you got it? You with me? Nicodemus shows up and he's like, I don't get this stuff. I don't understand it. Jesus is like, you're not listening. Let me say, let me say, as a person submits to this original creation, this wind hovering over the water, Genesis language, by the way, creation, the invisible moving the visible, the baptism into a new life, it's not possible to enter God's kingdom. When you look at a baby, it's just that, a body you can look at and touch. But the person who takes shape within is formed with something you can't see and touch, the spirit and becomes a living spirit. So don't be surprised what that says up there when I tell you that you have to be born from above out of this world, so to speak. Let me rephrase. Jesus says to Nicodemus, um, my father, my father spoke this into existence. You with me? No, no. My father spoke this into existence. We believe that, right? Hey, Jesus says to Nicodemus, maybe, maybe you misunderstood. My father spoke this into existence. Come on, come on. I need agreement here. This is an important piece. Jesus says to Nicodemus, you don't understand. My father spoke this into existence. Oh, I like that. 
And if you can't hear that word, looking around at creation itself to acknowledge that my Father spoke this existence, do you think that I don't know this world better than you? My Father spoke this into existence, he says. Interesting. I was going to preach there, but I'm going to move on because i got a story to tell. So you know well enough how the wind blows this way and that. You hear it rustling through the trees, Jesus says. But you have, oh, back up there, one screen for a second there. This wind, right? You know that. We, 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 we know the book of John. He's full of meanings and double meanings and words and speaking. This wind that blows wherever it wants to. You, you know, right? Numa, right? Numa, Genesis, breath of life. Ruach, Hebrew. You, you know this. You know you do. This wind that blows wherever it wants to, this, this way of life that comes from the Father, that it is all a gift from the breath of God, breathed and spoke into existence. You know, right, that, that God, oh, well, he can, he can do just about anything. No, not just about anything. He can do anything He wants to do. And God chose to speak you and me and this world into existence. This wind blows wherever it wants, here or there. You hear it rustling through the trees. But you have no idea where it comes from and where it's headed next. That's the way it is with everyone born from above who receives this word, this breath, this spirit. By the wind of God and the spirit of God. Now in our regular kind of traditional translations it says this. You must be born of water and the spirit. Right? That's what it says. And most times, and possibly rightly so, preachers will say, baptism, water, death, resurrection. The Spirit, the gift of the Spirit. What it is to be born again. What if, rather than just being baptism, what if there's something more to Jesus' words? You must be born of the water and the Spirit. What is water? 87% of the world's surface is covered with water. I think it's roughly 81% of our bodies is comprised of water, depending on our bodies. Um, and I believe that I read that it is roughly 2% of the world's water that is frozen in ice, and then it is roughly about 2% uh, that is actually, like, drinkable water. The rest of the world's water is containing vapor and those kinds of different pieces. Of that 2% of drinkable water, it is about point that is actually faithful, <laughs> like without being filtered, without, it's not just fresh water, in other words, it's like a pond, you wouldn't want to drink a pond water, but it's still fresh water, 0.3% of the world's water can be drunk, drank, used for drinking. <laughs> been in the mountains a little too long. <clears throat> but yet you and I, we really don't think that much about water, do we? on the faucet, right? Fill up our cup. Around here, you got these little fancy machines all over the place. It's got like purified water. And you can choose it blue or red. It's really big because it came out clear. But we don't think about it. It's interesting, isn't it, that, that often with the presence of God being pervasive and complete throughout creation, holding all things together, but yet we 
we really don't really acknowledge it that much. We come to church and hope that God shows up as if he wasn't already there, holding things together. We pray, hoping that God hears as if he wasn't already listening. You with me? We, we, especially those of us that grew up in the church and have known this thing all of our life, we, we have forgotten how to remember God. I'm getting really distracted. Nicodemus asked, what do you mean by this? How does this happen? Jesus said, you are a respected teacher of Israel. Carefully. Remember this, I started out by saying that Nicodemus is me. I'm afraid that Nicodemus is us. The church today has a serious, serious condition. And it is called forgetfulness. We have forgotten. We have forgotten the most basicness of theology. And that is that all things, all beings, all people, all belongs to God. And we have forgotten somehow, and we've taken on this different posture that somehow I earn, I get, it's mine. And we've become very dualistic in our way of living where we begin to say, well, this over here is the spiritual life, but this over here, this is my life over here. We begin to think that somehow that those two things are separate. And, and Nicodemus, me, maybe you, gets confronted by Jesus and says, you don't know the basics? Listen carefully. Speaking sober truth to you, I speak what I know by my own experience, Jesus says. I give witness only to what I have seen with my own eyes. There is nothing secondhand here, Jesus says. No hearsay. I'm not giving you anything, yet instead of facing the evidence and, and accepting it, you procrastinate with questions. If I tell you things that are as plain as the hand before your face and you don't believe it, what use is there of me sharing or telling you things that you can't see, the things of God? The fact that you can live, breathe, and think the fact that you can get up in the morning, you can go turn your water tap on, the fact that you can drive wherever you want to, you can go get a job, the fact that you're still breathing and that you're alive, that you're clothed, you have something to eat, you don't have to worry about your security, your comfort. Don't you understand that God has already invested in you? Hello? Don't you get it that God already sees you and that everything you have is already a gift? You with me? Don't you understand that the father who gives good gifts to his children has already said, well, here, 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 here. And you know what we've been doing? Man, I wish God would show up. You with me? Your life, the very fact that you can reason, that you can breathe, that you can walk, that you can think, is a gift from God. It is not just your own. It is God's. All things belong to God. He says, what would it do me if you can't see the simple truths? What would it do me to, to give you the spiritual truths? No one has ever gone up to the presence of God except for the one who came down from that presence, the Son of Man, Jesus says about himself. Oh, 
some trouble. I don't have the next verse. I'm going to have to pull up on my phone. You got it in front of you? My iPad? We're getting there. In the same way that Moses lifted up the servant in the desert, so people could have something to see and believe. In other words, Jesus is saying, you can read the sign, can you not? You, you can read it, read it. In the same way, I will be lifted, or it's necessary for the Son of Man to be lifted up, and everyone who looks up to him, it says, trusting and expectant, will gain real life, eternal life. I could preach a whole sermon on that, but I'm not going to right now. This is how much God loved the world. Read it. He gave his Son, his one and only Son, and this is why. So that no one need be destroyed by believing in him. Anyone, what did it again? Anyone? Now pause there, pause there. In Greek. I didn't ask Brad how to pronounce this. But in Greek, the word anyone, very complicated. It actually means anyone. We'll get that later. Anyone, say it, anyone can have whole and lasting life. Amen? Verse 17, God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help, to put the world right again. You should underline those words a million times, to put the world right again. And anyone who trusts in him is acquitted. Anyone who refuses to trust him has long since been under the death sentence without knowing it. John 3, 1, 3. Thanks be to God. I went a year without a job. We were homeless and unemployed. We're still homeless. I live in my in-law's garage. Try being 39 years old, speaking with pride. Um, it's been a gift. It's been a blessing. I'll tell you some more about that light story over the next few weeks, or days. Excuse me. A few months ago, I got a call and said, We'd like to interview for a, for a job. Would you come in? There's a, a rehabilitation center in the town that's near us, about six miles away, called St. Joseph. Probably New York's leading, leading drug and alcohol rehabilitation center. They've got about 150 beds in their main part, and they have several houses out, about 300 people or so involved in everyday treatment, everything from rehabilitation to reintegration, all having to do with addictive personalities and behaviors, and trying to restore them and put them in their life again. So they'd like to come talk to you. We have a, a job for you. I'm like, oh, great, then a year and some income. This is probably too much to tell you, but the day they called, I had 37 cents in my bank account. So I went in, and I'm thinking, don't mess this up. So I'm thinking, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I sat down, and they said, we're, we're looking to hire, we heard that you were a, a pastor for a while, and we're, we're looking for someone who will, will teach some spiritual classes inside of our, our programming here. I'm like, oh, I don't think I can do that. They said it's eight hours a week. And I kind of had to hide my, uh, I'm not sure what it was, disappointment. We began to talk. They said, do you have any, do you have any experience with, with, with addiction? I said, me or as a pastor? 
And he goes, either. That was funny, by the way. I said, actually, yeah, I, I do. <laughs> and so we're sitting there. Adam, I, I just walked into the interview, and I did everything you're not supposed to do in an interview. I started crying. I said, actually, yeah, I, I, I do have. Here's my journey. I began to tell a story of pastors at church for 13 years. And one day I, I woke up to the reality that, that I was more in love with my own way of thinking and my own pride than I was people. And I was more convinced about the certainty of what I believed than I was concerned about someone that was hurting or alone. So I began to struggle with what am I going to do with this? I, because I really believe this. I, I, here's Jesus. I get it. I, I hear you, Jesus. I see the word. I'm studying you. I look at my life, and I'm a pastor, and it doesn't look anything like this Jesus thing over here. I look at my church, and I think, I'm not sure that we're... <laughs> and I began to wrestle with that. I began to pray with it, and I began to hear a call to step away and to find a different way of posturing myself as a follower of Jesus, as a pastor. And I told this story. I'm bawling my eyes out in front of him. I get done, and I think, well, Barry went and screwed that up. Guys looked up, there's two guys that were in the room crying. And he says, How much would we have to pay you to hire you full time again? I said, One million dollars. <laughs> I wrote a number on a piece of paper, which was an incredibly awkward thing to do. The next day he called me and he said, All right, we're in. I said, For what? He said, well, I are you full-time? I said, great, what's the job description? He said, we don't have one. He said, we want you to come into our programming. Specifically, we want you to start in this house where it is veterans who are suffering with PTSD and addictions. There's 25 men. Almost all of them are under the age of 35. And they are dying for someone to offer them a little bit of living water. We just want you to come in and be with them. I want you to know their story. I want you to offer presence to them. So I started working with these guys. It's been a few weeks now, and on Friday, just a couple of days ago, we sat in a room, spirituality group. And I was teaching on some of the simple aspects of spirituality, and we got to the end, and I said, all right, guys, listen, I know you're going to make fun of me, and you're going to think this is stupid. Now, did I say this is a, a, a home for veterans, like combat veterans? I am extremely intimidated in that room, let's put it that way. We're sitting there in the room with some of the toughest, most mean-looking people I've ever seen in my life. I said, I want everybody to stand up. And I pulled some chairs back, stand up. About 14, 15 people in the room, something like that. I said, all right, put your hands out like this. And they put their hands out. I said, they're like, what are we doing this for? I said, just trust me. We're going to do this every single day for the next 10 weeks. Just trust me. It's about a practice. It's about a rhythm. It's about something we're going to commit to because our, our practices form us. By the way, why we come to the table every Sunday. Put your hands out. Everybody. Put their hands out. All right. I walk over to the guy on my left. It's a horseshoe-shaped kind of table set up. I said, I'm going to give you a gift today. And after I give it to you, I want to pass it to your brother. 
you know, your brother's going to pass to you. And this brother, we're going to go around the room. He looked at me. He goes, okay. I looked him in the eye. His hands are out. My hands are out. I turned my hands over, and I put them on top of his hands. I said, repeat after me. I called him my name. And I said, say this. I am loved. And he goes, what are you talking about? I said, get up here. Put your hands out. And he did. I put my hands on top of his hands. I said, you're going to say this. I said, say it to me. I am loved. I'm loved. I said, all right, let's repeat after me. <laughs> I said, one more thing. Say this. I am enough. I'm enough. I said, all right, now you're going to turn and you're going you're to give those two gifts, those words, to your brother. You're going to pass it around the room. You ever been in a room where things got real uncomfortable real fast? That's what happened. Cut the tension. Chairs are shuffling. Feet are shuffling. He turns to his buddy. His buddy puts his hands out. He puts his hands on top. They almost touched, but the guy moved his hands down, so he wasn't going to touch. I'm loved. I'm loved. I'm enough. I'm enough. Put your hands out. I'm loved. I'm loved. I'm enough. I'm enough. He goes about four people in, maybe five. Puts his hands out. The guy has his hands up, and I see his hands are shaking like this. It's not common. We're in a house full of addicts. He's shaking. The guy puts his hands over the top of him and says, Receive this gift. I'm loved. And I look, and the guy's lips start quivering. Awkwardness went up about 10 steps. And there's 14 guys staring at their brother, standing on the floor, bawling his eyes out, weeping, sobbing. Oh, 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 oh. I walk over, I kneel down in front of him. I said, Look at him. Pick his head up, his head up. He looked at me and said, I'm going to tell you, you're loved and you are enough. Now you're going to say it. I am loved and I am enough. He said, okay. Put his hands out. And I'm kneeling down, and all of a sudden the chairs start moving. The tables start getting pushed away. The 14 guys get in a circle around the brother. And they all put their hands on him. And if you had peeked in that room that day, you would have thought we were being in an altar in the middle of a church. And I'm kneeling in front of the brother. And their hands are on his back. Said, say it again. I'm loved. I am enough. I'm enough. I'm enough. And then I said, almost in a whisper, guess who I am? And out of nowhere came a unison voice of 14 people yelling, screaming, Yes, you are! <laughs> and he stood up and he turned to his brother and he said, I'm loved. His brother said, I'm loved. And he said, and everybody goes, yes, you are.
He said, I'm enough. And the guy says, I'm enough. He goes, yes, you are. And we went around every single guy in the room. I am love and I am enough. And everybody comes in, yes, you are. Nicodemus stands in front of Jesus and Jesus says, I don't think you quite get the reality of life. God made you. God loves you. You are enough. All of that performance, all of that title, all of that religiosity, all that temple stuff. Okay, congratulations. But guess what? God made you. He claims you and you are enough. And the saints around said, Yes, you are. And guess what? The Nicodemus story ends with this critique by Jesus to saying, you know what, you may not even believe, but in the book of John, we know that we get another glimpse of Nicodemus. Do you know where that's at? You get to the end of the book of John, and you find Jesus dead, all right? Jesus dead, and Jesus is being placed in the tomb. Guess who's putting Jesus in the tomb? Joseph of Arimathea and, yes, Nicodemus. You with me? Don't forget this, you must be born again. You must enter your mother's womb. And Nicodemus with his brother Joseph of Arimathea carry the body of Jesus into this tomb or maybe a womb. I'm not for certain which one it is. And they put the body of Jesus down and they wrap this body there in the moment of their grief. And then the preacher in me pictures Nicodemus putting that body down and standing there and staring at it for a moment and then turning around and walking to the door of this tomb where it is darkness inside. And he looks outside and he sees the bright lights outside. And you can't tell me because I'm convinced that in that moment Nicodemus thinks to himself, you must be born from above. You must have eyes from a different point of view. You must have a faith that this is not the reality. That death is not the end. And out of that womb or tomb, however you want to define it, I'm okay with that. Nicodemus steps from the darkness into light. And in that moment of him just simply saying, I am loved, I am enough. In that moment with all of history and all of the future and all of God's angels and all of God's presence in the world, creation itself responded by saying, yes, you are. I'm going to tell you something this morning. You are enough. Go ahead. You can respond. We're going to do it. Yes, I am. You know why you're enough? Because God made you. That's why. Because God is, I am loved. Is that true? If God is love, what does that make you? Loved. If God is forgiving, what does it make you? Huh, you got it now. If God says, I make you your mind, you are enough. Yes, you are. This morning, we practice receiving the gifts. We did it every week. We did it every week in our church, and I'm glad, Brad, you're doing it every week here. Don't ever let anybody tell you to stop. When Jesus sat with his disciples one day and said, hey, we're going to start something brand new, and you're going to do it till I see you again. 
sometimes the church is like, ah, you don't really need that. Baloney. Jesus says, hey, you see this bread? You see this cup? May this bread remind you as I break it. Her life is tough. It's hard. It's difficult. Sometimes it requires a breaking. But God's going to break you. He's going to tear you apart because he's making something new and he wants to share you. He's going to distribute you. He's going to pass you around. And in your brokenness, you become new. May this bread remind you of God's work in your life, the ongoing formation of you, who you are. So you see this cup? This cup represents the, the blood of Christ. Let me, let me tell you what that is, by the way. The blood of Christ is the water we do when we take our lives that are often broken, scattered, ripped apart, and we submerge them and dip them in this water of Christ, the blood of Christ. We're saying that by taking those two worlds that seem so foreign and putting them together in one moment, the gospel happens. That's what it is. That is good preaching. So today, I'd like us to stand together if we would. I'd like you to put your hands in front of you. With your palms upright. Today, when you come, and as those who are prepared today to serve, would you come and, and place yourself and get prepared? As you come to the to the table today to receive this bread and and this cup, would you receive it as a gift of Christ saying to you, "I love you. You are loved." Would you dip that bread? Would you recognize it as a gift of Christ saying to you, you are enough. Thanks be to God. I'd like to ask one more thing. If you're here today and you say, I don't know that I've ever accepted that reality. I'd like you to come first. Because the day if, at this point of receiving Christ Jesus' love for you, if you say, this is me, I'm in, I'm taking it on. By faith, I'm going to receive it. Would you step out right now and, and come? And the pastors, Seth and Brad, will, will also join you as you come forward. But just in a moment of saying right now, I'm going to receive Christ's love and gift for me. Would you come forward today?